2: Good evening and welcome to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersham and I have been very closely following the news of the week, the stories of the land, the the good, the bad and the ugly and everything in between. We've been looking at a lot of different people as well because there are so many interesting personalities that we love to bring you on the airwaves. And I understand, Larry, we have a very interesting and important person on the line with us this evening. Who do we have?
3: Avi? Goldwasser and his colleague Charles Jacobs are co-founders of the David Project and the Americans for Peace and Tolerance and the Jewish Leadership Project. Avi Goldwasser is a former financial executive and film producer whose credits include the award-winning documentary, The Forgotten Refugees. Avi has just come out with a new book curated and authored by Avi and his colleague Charles Jacobs titled Betrayal The Failure of American Jewish Leadership that we'll be discussing tonight. Welcome to the program, Avi.
4: Thank you very much. I'm honored.
2: Avi, your, your book sounds very interesting, and I know you can. people look at the title and they think one thing, but if you like to really explain kind of your elevator speech about what this book is about, uh, can you tell us a little bit about sort of the, the highlights, or maybe I should say the theme?
4: Yeah, so the book is uh, a series of 22 essays by a variety of people, activists, professors, uh, intellectuals, and um, they all deal with one topic, which is the uh, scandalous failure of the established Jewish leadership in America to counter the growing anti-Semitism and Jew hatred we're seeing. It's it's uh, how they fail and why they fail. Uh, and it's from, as I said, 22 different point of views and different aspects of American life.
3: Huh. Well, Avi, uh, so... My wife and I, I, she's been over to Israel twice. I've been once. We love the country over there. Uh, but it, it is a perplexing question, you know, why this, this, uh, so-called, this hatred towards the Jewish people? I do not understand it. I love the country of Israel. Why do you think, for example, the media is painting such a false picture of the Jewish people?
4: It's an excellent question, and it's one that uh, I don't think many Jews fully understand why Jews are hated. And as you know, there's a long history of Jew hatred in Christianity, in Islam, in Marxism, and in today as well. And there's no single answer. But if you think about today, uh, there are four major groups that are hostile to the Jewish people. We have the old, what are called the neo-Nazi uh, traditional Jew haters, and they are the most lethal. They're the ones who shoot up uh, Jews in synagogues and so forth. Uh, but the biggest threat, in my opinion, comes from the progressives, uh, the intellectuals, the walks, the leftists. And this is uh, difficult for Jews to accept. The left has always been a friend of the Jews historically. Uh, and uh, in recent years, uh, the left has turned against Israel, against the Jews. Uh, and there are a variety of reasons for that, which I can get into. The other two groups who are hostile to the Jews in Israel today uh, are, the, uh, are many in the African-American community. They are certainly incited by Reverend Louis Farrakhan and some black politicians, many on the squad, Uh, Congress people in the squad, and the fourth group, which is uh, radical Muslims, many of them new immigrants who've been radicalized uh, against uh, Jews in Israel. And those are the four groups that uh, are causing the problem. I think it's difficult for Jewish leadership today to say anything bad about minorities, uh, or progressives, for that matter of fact. It's much easier to talk about the Nazis. They always look for Nazis under the bed. Uh, and it took a while for the ADL, the Inter-Defamation League, to finally recognize that the hostility is coming from the left. And someone compared the hostility from the right versus the left in a very simple analogy. The right is killing us, you know, shooting, shooting up Jews. It's uh, today. But the left is like cancer. It infects the body. We see it mostly in the universities. I spent 20 years fighting Jew hatred in, on college campuses. It's a bad scene. And we're seeing it now entering the K-12 educational system as well. So ethnic studies and um, see, uh, you know, uh, critical race theory, DEI, um, and the question is, why? What's driving this hatred? And I would summarize it, first of all, there's, there's natural tribalism between groups. Uh, that's part of human nature. You can never eliminate hate. It's part of evolution. But another element when it comes especially to Jews is what I would call envy. Uh, in contemporary times, there's envy of Jewish success. Uh, and, um, you know, people are competitive. People like to blame someone else for their problem. They come up with conspiracy theories which always blame the Jews. Uh, and that's you what know, you You um,
2: know, one of the things that we always wonder about when we hear this, and, and obviously it's it's very disconcerting to lots of different people of lots of different faiths to hear about this kind of persecution, what can we do about it?
4: Good question. Well, I think, as I said, hate is part of human nature. You cannot eliminate hate. Humans, homo sapiens, will always have hate. But like any bad impulse, you know, we are learned through culture, through religion, to curb, to restrain our bad impulses. And that's what needs to be done. We have been uh, seen examples example how racism has uh, diminished significantly in the last 100 years, 50 years, That's because the culture and the society decided that it's important to restrain that tribal impulse to hate the other because they different color, because different whatever. And not enough has been done to encourage people to curb their natural envy of success. I mean, envy of success is also part of the walkism that we've seen. Anybody successful is considered privileged, okay? It's part of a Marxist ideology, and the Jews are considered very successful and therefore justifiable to be hostile toward them. Uh, So there's no eliminating envy, there's no eliminating hate, but society puts in penalties and pain for those who don't restrain themselves.
3: Could one of the problems be, Avi, that uh, Jewish defense organizations such as the ADL, could it be that they prefer to handle discrimination incidents uh, very quietly and not make noise or waves? And by that silence, it basically encourages more discrimination or violence towards the Jewish people? Could that be one of the problems?
4: Well, they're not silent when it comes to neo-Nazis or right-wingers. They're only silent when it comes to certain politically uh, incorrect uh, groups. So they will be reluctant to say anything about Islamic or or African-American Jew hatred. They're very sensitive to that, uh, but they're not sensitive about saying bad things about Trump, about right-wingers, about Republicans. So it's a kind of selective approach. I I think the issue is that they are reluctant to be honest about the problem, uh, except when it comes to the right wing.
2: You know, we we really hear a lot more about this lately than I think we did, um, you know, during the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, do you attribute that to a, a greater awareness that this is actually more of an issue or is it actually more prevalent as we uh, sort of have moved forward from 2020? Which would you attribute it to? And, and I have to ask, you know, did that, in, at least in part, spark your desire um, and encourage you to write this book?
4: Well, uh, uh, Charles and I have been fighting Jew Hedron on college campuses for 20 years. And mm. we concluded. We concluded that we cannot win the battle because the major Jewish organizations, the major resources of the Jewish community are not engaged. We started a new organization called the David Project because the establishment wasn't there. Jewish students did not get support from the Jewish federations, from the ADL, from all the major organizations. And therefore, we filled that vacuum. And many... New organizations were formed, like Camera Stand With Us, to, to support the Jewish students. They were absent. They failed to support Jewish students on campus when the problem was still small. I've made several documentaries about it. The most recent one is called Hate Spaces, which uh, Hate is available on YouTube, uh, which demonstrates this to be going on and the establishment has been silent. It's a massive failure of Jewish leadership partly due out of their progressive politics, partly due out of, I would call, cluelessness and cowardness. But the situation has gotten worse in the last decade, and I think that it's always easy for them to blame Trump or some other right-wing organization. But I think if you look at recent pronouncements, they recognize there's a problem, and now they're struggling what to do with it. But at least they're beginning to recognize the problem that's emerging from the left, from the African American community. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much for joining us, and I totally agree with you. We, we've got to run, but that was just a fascinating uh, description. Thank you for um, the explanation. Thank you, Harvey. And we also want to thank our listeners. Do not touch that dial. We are coming right back for more of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrickins. Uh Larry and I always try to uh, come up with some kind of a practical everyday topic that you know is kind of removed from politics, removed from some of the um, some of the legal stories that we cover. And you know one of the things that really draws us together is we as a society really face a lot of common I'll call them challenges. you know we talk about driving and dining, health and wealth I could go on and on about the types of things that really challenge us, especially here in California and in San Diego. Um, one of them has to do with the trend that we've seen just really gain steam during the course of the pandemic, and that's tipping. Now, we grew up understanding gratuity, and we you go to a restaurant, you get amazing service, you leave an amazing tip. However, tipping has really expanded to services where, It really is more of a service charge, at least that's what some customers are complaining about. I mean, you buy something online, you think, why would I leave a tip? I'm interacting with a bot, a computer, artificial intelligence, AI, so If employees are going to get more money, maybe the employer should be the one that just raises salaries. And it's really come up with this kind of disconnect between what we grew up with in terms of what a tip means and what gratuity, as the name would imply, really stands for versus what tipping has become in this day and age where you almost can't even check out anywhere even digitally, or even if you're at the even at the console, without being asked to add, sometimes up to a 20 or 25 percent tip. Larry, what is this all about?
3: Oh, I think we've reached a tipping point, Wendy. Uh, but oh. I'm just kidding about that. But I think what's really brought this to the fore is the, the new uh, point-of-sale computers. And you will walk into a place that ordinarily, in times past, you wouldn't even think about tipping, like it would be a fast food place, and they'll have a screen there, and it offers you a choice of tips. Or you could press the button for no tips. But the interesting thing about all of this is that uh, the employee that's ringing you up is standing there looking at the same screen. So there's a little bit of uh, this is internal, I guess I feel a little bit embarrassed about not tipping. And it's putting an extra pressure on people that are just trying to pick up some food. And that's I think what's really brought this back into the mainstream of of, of talk today.
2: You know, that's a really good point. You know, it goes back to the, you know, reality, public, social proof, perception, where if you are at a barista, for example, at some sort of coffee place and everybody else gives a tip, well, then you're going to give a tip also. Or, you know, there's the great Seinfeld episode where uh, George – puts a tip in the tip jar and nobody sees him do it, so he tries to fish it back out and then he's accused of stealing. Remember that?
3: (laughs) I didn't see that. I want to see that episode.
2: It it, it looks I'll bet it's on YouTube. It illustrates this, uh, you know, this fascination with, well, I want people to see me, you know, give my tip. It's, it's kind of like we're told not to do, you know, in, in the Bible, you know, blowing a trumpet when you donate or when you do something good. Um, don't announce it that way. But on the other hand, it, there really is a natural inclination for many people to want to reward service or to want to just recognize that not everybody makes a lot of money and some people rely on tips. You know, many of the people that work um, in the hospitality industry get an enormous amount of their income little by little through very generous tips. But you bring up the point of contention and that is should it be obligatory? Should it be mandatory? Should it be almost a public shaming into giving a tip? I mean, I know people that will say, I don't shop there because like you just said, they stand and watch when you check out. You have no idea who the cashier is. You've never met them. They've done nothing for you except for ring you up. And many people say that shouldn't be the, the area that you should be forced to tip. Instead, saving your hard earned money, you know, that you're otherwise going to be spending on gas and groceries and children's education, and and use it to reward those that you want to reward. So in other words, they just want it to be a personal choice. That's all. Not that people shouldn't be generous and very generous if they want to be. Um, but is that going to sort of work its way through the, the way in which different industries and different kinds of retail stores decide to prompt you for a tip? I mean, shouldn't there be some kind of – Customer interaction with the person that you 're supposedly tipping
3: oh, I think there should be uh, one really interesting uh, story. I believe it was on this mother 's day in you know may two thousand twenty three uh, we were out to this pretty fancy restaurant and uh, with my wife and um, my daughter and her family and when the bill came in, uh, we didn 't even get a chance to tip it was the tip was already included. And they didn't tell us ahead of time. We didn't even have a chance to choose. It was just there as part of the bill. So I think that's going too far. I, I hope it doesn't come to that. Uh, but, uh, but we're seeing some interesting developments. And uh, tipping has been around for a while, Wendy. Actually, they say back in the 1850s, wealthy Americans, they discovered tipping while traveling in Europe. And then in 1860s, American travelers, they bring Tick, uh, tipping back to the to the states. But there was a big flare-up in the early 1900s about anti-tipping people and so forth. So it, it's been around for a while, probably for centuries, if not longer. Uh, but yeah. as technology changes, I think it kind of brings it to the fore again, and we have to discuss, okay, what's right and what's wrong and what's going too far?
2: You know, you Found some fascinating research and statistics that were reported in Forbes about digital tipping. I don't think a lot of people would consider digitally tipping if they have no idea where the money's going. They've never interacted with a human. In fact, some people say, you know, that's part of the frustration is completely only interacting online is you never actually get to to talk to a real person. So where does your tip go? And you came up with some uh, statistics that were reported that 95% of respondents say they tip at least sometimes. But I found this even more interesting. More people tip more when they leave a digital tip?
3: Yeah, I don't know why that would be. Oh, I think I do. Uh it's probably because it's less painful. If you have to actually leave cash, you're kind of opening your wallet, at least I'm talking as a man now, uh, and uh you see how much money you've you've got to put down and you want to make sure you have enough. But if it's on a credit card, you know, digital, uh it's not so painful and it's you just, you know, put down the percentage that they recommend or what you feel comfortable with. I think that's part of
2: it. You know what's interesting about that is I know a lot of people that are going back to paying with cash because they don't trust the financial institutions. There's a variety of reasons. They don't want to share all their confidential information by always using QR codes. And they have that exact issue is they're basically saying, you know, do I open my wallet? And, you know, especially given the some of the crime that's been rising in some of the some of the cities, I almost said big cities, but then I caught myself because it's everywhere, especially in some jurisdictions jurisdictions but they don't want to have their wallet out and their money out and when you go up to some of those kiosks and you try to you know type in your information if you're paying with a credit card you've got everybody behind you behind you looking at how much you're tipping and they say you know i don't want to share how much i'm deciding to tip i have to tell you the other the pendulum has begun to swing a little bit larry i've gone to a couple of places lately where the some of the clerks even look a little bit embarrassed that they know we're faced with that screen and they'll reach over and hit no tip Uh. that. Yeah. And that's, that's actually happening more frequently because you see some of these people that don't want to be just seen as standing there staring at the customer because they've shared because i always ask questions you know i give a lot of presentations on this kind of thing from a psychological standpoint they've said i don't want to dissuade customers from coming back because they're afraid they're going to be shamed in giving a tip i want this to be a safe place where people can just come buy their beef jerky and their soda and then be gone and feel comfortable coming back
3: right, and you you pair that with the fact that inflation is really hit big time i don't know about yeah. you, Wendy, but when we go out to eat, I would just say on average, in my mind, the cost of having a dinner i'm not even talking about the tip has gone up thirty percent literally i i don't it's yeah. from a fast food place all the way up to a high end restaurant. Everything has gone up, so you add that in plus the potential shaming of leaving, uh, you know, large tips, it's, I hope it doesn't come to a point where eating out is uh, unaffordable.
2: Well, it has become unaffordable for a lot of people. And then when you're going to be adding, you know, 15 or 20%, yeah, maybe it will be. And, you know, it also depends on what you order. So lots of times people go out for coffee. Um, going out for coffee and being charged a 20% tip is different, I suppose, than maybe going out for a fancy dinner somewhere. But I have a, a question that I think is just fascinating that has come up lately. Is it, and, and we're almost at the end of the show. Maybe we'll queue this up for another segment in the future. But on what kind of services is it fair to add a tip, I mean the guy comes out to, meet your, to read your meter, or uh, you know the ant the ant man comes to spray the outside of your house. Is that a service you tip on? You, you, most of the time, you don't even know these people have been there, um, but then you get your bill and there's an opportunity to add a tip. I don't know. Maybe this is a rhetorical question, Larry. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say.
3: Well, how about this, Wendy? We are both musicians and we play in, in bands. <laughs> I don't want the tip jar to go away because usually uh the the house doesn't pay you that much to play, so uh that's just kind of another side but yeah it it goes it's going into other industries i think i I read here that it uh like in wedding dress places where where ladies are buying these really expensive wedding dresses they want to, you to tip the person that helped you pick out the right dress. It goes to plumbers and contractors now, so yeah where's the cutoff line?
2: Yeah, no, that's really good, and it also reminds me. I'll sort of end with this, you know, the buskers. Um, you, you and I should start busking with all the music we play. Maybe it would make make a little more money. But you know, people all, almost have to put money in the till, in their cash, in their own uh, tick jar to sort of encourage a little more. Anyway, fascinating. So much, so many more places we can go with this. But we will pick up the commentary again next weekend. You've been listening to today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines of the silver lining. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful memorial weekend. God bless you. We'll see you next Saturday night.